0: All right. Uh, Welcome to When Helping Hurts. Um, Hmm? The vast majority of of the things that I'm discussing are coming straight from this book. Um, You can see the authors up there. Uh, They both wrote the book. Thickard is the one who actually kind of wrote the words down. And then Corbett is the one who uh, has done a lot of the illustrations and charts and stuff like that and helped with the editing. Um, but obviously it's a book written about how to help the poor uh, In terms of doing it without hurting them or yourself Because so, t- so much of what we do actually does hurt the poor As I was discussing with Andrew um, before you guys came in And so My first question is what comes to mind and that, when, when you hear the word social justice Because I know that's sort of a political word uh, especially recently, um, given all the things that have happened the last couple of years, uh, a lot of talk about social justice, um, some maybe good things come to your mind, some not so good things come to your mind. What are, what are some things that immediately come to mind when you hear the phrase social justice? Yeah. Anything else?
1: Well,
2: now I go on the, on the good side. It is um, um, mercy, mercy ministry. I think a mm-hmm. I'm aware that uh, that white middle class people probably what we call justice, you know, or no, what we call mercy blacks. And, and poor called justice Uh-huh. you know but then again you know it is a loaded term because yeah. often to me I know it means to a lot of people uh, redistribution of wealth right and uh, and to a lot of evangelicals it has the smell of liberalism you yep. know and and usually having no connection with the gospel whatsoever
0: yeah
1: Liberation
2: theology. The Liberation
0: theology, the social gospel, yeah. things like that, yeah. So. I wonder if uh, a little bit of the uh, kind of thing like Oh, uh, yeah. Level out some of the, uh, the yep, yep, absolutely. So, so so, the point is, though, the social justice is sort of in the <laughs> it's a loaded term that the pay, depending on who's using it can mean very different things Um, but if we take it for just what it says, social justice um, can we at least agree that the Bible in some ways uh, promotes social justice in the sense that we are to help the poor, that there is a sense of justice by giving someone dignity and helping them um, achieve being able to get out of the depths from which they are in that play them is that reasonable to to agree on?
2: Well, and it's admitting sometimes I think that there is oppression that happens. There, you know, there is oppression from one class, or typically the wealthy, or in a, whatever that means. I mean, but, you know
1: one group can it's oppress another.
0: Absolutely, and that's something actually that we're going to talk about later on. Like one of the ways that people are in the situation, not necessarily because of their own sin, but because of oppression sometimes. Um, is there a connection between the gospel and social justice? What do you guys think? Sure, right? There's obviously a connection. Uh, you know, Paul tells us that when we are saved by faith, we're saved, what, unto good works in Ephesians 2. Yeah. Right? So we're saved to do good, not, we're not saved by, obviously... You know social justice, but we're saved on two social justice, and that we're supposed to do good things as a result of our faith. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through forty-six. And what I want to first start to do is lay down the foundation, the theological foundation of helping the poor. Next week will be general print, and then this, our class is going to go from. This is a five-week class, but mine is three weeks. Seth is going to do the last two weeks. As we go from sort of the theological and philosophical to the practical, and so each week it'll be more more towards the practical. This week it's a foundation of theology. Next week it's general principles, and the week after that is like purely practical ideas and stuff to help for
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, Matthew twenty five thirty one. I think uh, gives us a good foundation of, of creating a connection between the gospel and social justice. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right hand, and the goats on His left hand. Then the King will say to those on the right hand, Come, you who are blessed. a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you. When did we see you sick and or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. So, it's interesting, I think, that the Bible portrays this idea that there is a very intimate connection between the gospel and social justice. Obviously, we don't believe in the social gospel, which says that we are saved by works. But we are certainly saved unto good works, as I mentioned to you from Ephesians 2. And this is the outworking of the gospel. And so that's what social justice is, according to what I believe the Bible, as the Bible defines it. Social justice is the outworking of the gospel. It's not the essence of the gospel, but the outworking of the gospel. Make sense? Same page? Alright, so what are some ways in which our good intentions are outworking of the gospel? How does that sometimes hurt the poor? Any thoughts? And we were talking, I mean, Andrew, we were talking before, um, how, obviously, the welfare state can sometimes hurt the poor, right? Because they become dependent upon this check that they're getting, and it kills their motivation sometimes to help them, because it's not dealing with the core of their needs, it's only dealing with the symptoms. Um, I'm allowed for for legally allowed to give them two phones the same thing
1: in returns, but I won't do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's under my watch because I don't, they don't need two free phones. Right. I mean, one is one is a blessing I feel like
0: and I think the other one's just taking advantage of the situation. And in our madam meetings, haven't we discussed this very? I remember discussing this very question at length at your house mm-hmm. when, when I came over for dinner. It was, well, at what point is, is manna, um, what, what was the term we used? Um, Enab- enabling. Enabling, as opposed to helping. And I think that's a serious discussion that we all need to have, right? That, like, whenever we do some kind of outreach ministry, especially when we're ta- targeting the materially poor, when are we enabling? And when are we helping?
2: well, generally, generally mm-hmm. it might be very easy to wound their pride. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of not intending to, but they kind of, I don't know, maybe somehow they just feel ashamed. They feel like they're unempowered in a sense. It's sort of...
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, like they can't... Yeah. So we may communicate that. There's
0: that loss of dignity, saying yeah. that you need me and you can't cope without me. I'm your great yeah. rescuer. Right. Now. I'm your salvation. Yeah. Yeah. We ha- definitely have to stay away from trying to be people's like Jesus. Um, some preliminary questions for for engaging in conversation here. Uh, why did Jesus come to Earth? Um, let's, let's start with that question, and real quick. Um what, what are some ideas that you guys have why Jesus came to earth? To renew us. To renew us, yeah. Redeem us, right? To be example.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. Sure. Now there there's a lot of biblical knowledge in this room, but what what uh these questions are maybe more intended for an audience that isn't as much. Because um, I wasn't sure who to expect today, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, what do you think the general Christian response to this is as to why Jesus came to earth? To save us from our sins. To save us from our sins, yeah. Um, for what specific sins was Israel sent to captivity? Like specific sins. What do you think? And and what what do you think the general Christian response is to this? What what did you say? Put that put that in lay terms. Put that in lay terms. Yes, idolatry. Right? You said idolatry. Yeah, idolatry was the big one. Obviously, that everyone comes probably comes to mind first, and that's usually where our mind stops as to Israel. At least it, it does for me a lot of times. When I think of Israel, I think of. People who worshipped other gods and kept trying to reject the God of Abraham and just wanted every excuse to do something different than what God had wanted, right? And yeah, grumbling yeah. in the desert. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is the primary task of the church? Not pushing the Bible. <laughs> Yeah. We go yeah, the typical, the, 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 we're staying typical in here. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: to,
0: to save souls, right. So the the Church is primarily spiritual, right? Not necessarily material, not, yeah, common perception. Yeah. All right. Well, let's deal with the first question. Why did Jesus come to earth? The Son is the image of the invisible God in the first order of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. For the thrones or powers, or rules or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things." Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So, why did Jesus come to earth? According to a false saying here, to reconcile all things to himself. Now, does all things only mean people? Does it mean all of creation? Did what happened in the fall? Did just our condition as human beings fall? Or did all of creation fall as well? And so I think the point of what Paul is saying here is that Jesus came to earth to redeem all things, even our physical conditions and not just our souls, as so much as is perceived a lot of times by the average Christian in the church. And I guess that's where I'm going with that. And we are reconciled through his blood shed on the cross, of course, in Christ, what he did for us on the cross is the way in which he is able to reconcile all things.
1: It's interesting, Dan, if we go back yep. to that you know, it's interesting because well, that word are reconciled for most people just to create that as earth and we to create this earth without letting like break down. Right.
0: Now. right all things. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And all sorts of, you know, extreme theologies I think have led to that, you know, as to just spiritualizing it because because you know, the opposite of the health and wealth gospel is oh the suffering gospel, in which if you're not suffering, if you're not living in rags, then you must be doing something wrong in this earth. Well, there's no redemption for it's interesting the the
2: thing that we, we do not so reconcile to uh-huh. spiritualize it just to mean people, but we do that with the word poor. You know, and you say, Well, I'm poor. Mm-hmm. but use the characteristic of poor as in a ragged
0: mean person yes. yep. and he, he left yes absolutely and that's one of the things we covered here today um, how did Jesus prove he was Messiah how did he prove that he can reconcile all things to himself well look, look at the conversation um, that he has right here so he replied to his messengers Go back and remember, this is when... Um, in just a set context with this verse, you know, John the Baptist was in prison. He wanted to know, well, is this Jesus really who, who we think he is? And this is Jesus' response to that. So he replied to his messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor." Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So how did Jesus himself prove his ministry? Prove who he was? He proved it physically. Or we can even say through social justice. Now then he coupled that with the preaching of the gospel of course, the preaching of the good news. But that's how he proved himself. What would Jesus do to help the poor? Well, I think we just answered that question, James 1.27. True religion, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, What does the book of Isaiah, say in the Old Testament, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And so obviously, to do right is the outworking of the gospel. It is what the task of the church is. The task of the church, helping the poor, I think we learned this from not just the New Testament church, but the Old Testament church in Israel. Deuteronomy 15.4 God says that there is to be no poor among you. For in the land the Lord God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you. So it was God's intention from the very beginning in the Old Testament church to redeem the poor so that it no longer exists. Having the poor is not part of what God's original intention is. And we have to, and that's what the gospel is, to fix everything that is broken. Isn't poverty just a result of brokenness and sin? Well, that's what God came to redeem. I I am, um,
2: I was struck by, you know, there's been a lot of poking fun at the occupied people. Um, One of theirs was cancel all debts. (laughs) <laughs> and and there's still a lot of people yeah, after that, you know. Yeah. And I thought, well, wasn't that what Jubilee was supposed to do? And just it's not a foreign concept, mm-hmm. you know, to the Bible. And I don't know that Israel ever did it.
1: But Well you
0: don't you don't know that they ever I went through a they jubilee? ever complied. They ever complied hmm. I guess I never questioned it. I yeah. just assumed that they did. I never thought about it. Yeah. It's in
1: their Well,
2: there's one time God scolds them, you know, for, for 70 years that they're in exile. He says, now they'll have Sabbath. It hasn't had a Sabbath for X number of years. Okay. So they never did the bit where right. Sabbath,
0: you know. That's interesting. I never... <laughs> so
2: I wonder if they ever did.
0: Um, so... Back to our original question: Why was is Israel sent to captivity? Our mind always thinks idolatry, because yes. they worshiped other gods, and that is one of the main reasons. But the reason we often forget is because they forsook their duty to do social justice. Isaiah, wash and make yourselves clean; take your evil deeds out of my sight and stop doing wrong. Once again, shows to their deeds, their lack of social justice. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, and plead the case of the widow. They are called evil because they weren't doing these things. And then Isaiah 58. Is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed, and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? See, they were doing this fast, in, you know, in their own way. But God says, "The fast that I delight in is to loose the chains of the injustice and unite the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke." It is not to share your food with the. Is it not to share the food with your, the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Um, and it goes on to praise that kind of uh, that that kind of fast, that kind of sacrifice. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like noonday. And so, obviously, in the Old Testament, God was rebuking them for getting away from such. Tangible,
1: practical things. Well, I mean, and and what do we normally think of? I mean you had a good question of what do we think of in this Israel, but what do you normally think of is the reason that God uh condemns sodomy anymore? But what is the normal thing to think of?
0: Yeah, sexual morality.
1: But isn't that more reasonable? but right. it says I will you will be this was the yeah, sin of yeah, this was so the this sin, was sin of solidity Right. right now, so cruel Pride. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: They were prideful and basically yeah, prideful and they did not have to go. That's an interesting point. Yeah. So the task of the church is to preach the gospel and help the suffering. Um, see this in the Gospel of Luke twice here. And he sent them out to proclaim, of course, talking about Jesus, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Gospel suffering. He- heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Gospel suffering. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's compare and contrast the Old Testament. We already, re- we already read Deuteronomy 54 says, let there be no poor among you. Well, what does it say in Acts 4.34? It says virtually the same thing. That there will be no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales. And so, it's identical. The message hasn't changed from Old Testament to New Testament. We as the church, we as the covenant community of God, ought to do something about fixing the situation of the poor.
1: However, you
0: know, he also says the poor will always, always be, be among you. People. Yeah. Like, I know. Okay. But so some people take that as mm-hmm. well, so let's not
1: do anything. Right. Just, it, there is no so let's not do anything.
0: There any that, that's a few sentence. Yeah. Right. The poor will be there. Yeah. And isn't that go hand in hand with our theology of the kingdom is here but not yet? Mm-hmm. That we are to help the poor because the kingdom is now? And that helping the poor is the outworking of of our kingdom responsibility, but because it's not yet in its fullness, that it will not completely be done. Are you leading this at one point to Deuteronomy 1511? Because I knew that was hanging in my brain. No, I wasn't.
2: Okay. What does that say? That one says, because it just goes down further and it says, the poor will never cease to be in the land. In other words, the poor you will have with you always. Right. So anyway, therefore I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and poor in your land. It just... That little part gets forgotten. Right.
0: So keep an open hand to yeah. 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 That's awesome. Alright. Um, this is more evidence that the depletion of poverty, helping to fix and re- fix that situation, is the outworking of the kingdom. Um, this is from Revelation 21, where it talks about the kingdom in its fullness. And if we look down at the bottom at verse 4, he says, talking about God, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. See, the idea of suffering is not going to be taken into The kingdom in its fullness. There is a sense in the gospel, there is a sense throughout the Bible that suffering is wrong. We weren't created for suffering. So to redeem to to help suffering and end suffering is to be doing the work of God of redemption. Because ending suffering is part of the plan of redemption. Not just of souls, but also of more tangible things like that. The care of the poor is essential to the church. 1 uh, John talks a lot about that. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. And I think uh, the epistle of James also goes there, and we can see here that the love of God is correlated to us doing social justice. Through what class of people does God primarily build His kingdom? I thought this was an interesting point that the book had brought up that I never spent much time thinking about. Because we're all middle class, you know, uh, individuals in this country where fairly secure. I don't think any one of us are thinking about where we're getting our, our next meal from. But throughout church history, as we study church history... Who has the gospel generally impacted the most? Has it been the poor or the rich? It's been more the poor, because throughout throughout the history of the earth, there hasn't really been much of a middle class. America is fairly unique in that setting, so it's usually poor rich, and the gospel has definitely penetrated the hearts of the poor, and God has built His kingdom in that way, brothers and sisters. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Why did God choose Israel in the Old Testament? Well, what's one of the reasons anyway that God chose Israel? In the Old Testament, amongst all the other people groups of nations. Because they were one of the smallest. They were more of the weakest. God could have chosen Egypt, but would that have really magnified God's strength if He chose the largest people group and the most powerful people group to display His power? Alright, let's think of some ways in which the church can help the poor. What, what, what do you guys think, just off the top of your head? Feed yeah. them. Feed them. Like MANA. Offer maybe counseling. Case management, which I know is probably where you want to go with the SRC one day, right? Yeah. Oh, well, in general, develop church run programs like MANA, the community dates that we had yesterday. Support parachurch ministries, SRC, pushing help. And then, of course, um, encourage members to partake on their own, which is what obviously to see. the goal is here. <laughs> uh, the gospel is the redemption of creation, not just redemption of souls. There was an interesting thing. That, <clears throat> have you guys heard of the Great Reversal? You guys are familiar with that period? Have you, have you heard of that? I'm not familiar
1: with that term, but I don't familiar with with the time, here. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, <clears throat> yeah. early, early in, the 19th, in the in the twentieth century, uh, there was this battle for the gospel between the conservatives and the liberals. And um, evangelical conservatives were, of course, emphasizing the gospel from its spiritual sense—that we come to Christ on the basis of faith—and of course the the liberals were saying, no, we, you know, basically more of a social gospel, it comes to God on the basis of what we do, on the basis of how we live, and then that's how we earn our salvation. And so, as a result, during this time, there was something called the Great Reversal, in which evangelicals went from being known as people who helped poor to having this great pushback to like getting away from helping the poor and really focusing on ministering to people's souls and forsaking their immediate physical needs. Um, and that's what we call the great reversal that it was the time where the church went known from helping to known to just being so heavenly that there were no earthly good. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: right now, so in, in this period, it was which one that, Well, it was the spiritual. Yes. Yeah. Where, where, where the great is called the Great Reversal,
0: because it went from evangelical Christians being a great help and assistance to the poor to just being, just getting away from that because they were trying to take their stand for conservatism, and so. But the problem is this one went too far, and there was no balance. And a lot of people, when they look back at this time of history, they want to blame. They want, they want to blame the government for the, for the way the church got disinvolved in the lives of the poor. They want to say, oh, the government came out with all these social welfare programs and it disincentivized the church from um, helping people. But you can't historically say that and be accurate. The reason is because it was a, it was a theological movement amongst evangelicals, not a, not a political movement. The fact is, the great social welfare programs didn't come out to after this time. It wasn't uh, FDR, the, the the New Deal or whatever it was called, that wasn't in, in, in the late thirties. That wasn't in, in, in this time period. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, his Great Society, that was in the sixties. And so it was really so you can argue actually the opposite. You can argue that it was the church's lack of helping people that drove the government to say, "Well, if they're not going to help. We have to step in and do something." And so you might wonder where we would be politically if. The church has stepped up and not got into this funk for 30 years where they just stopped looking. Alright, we're going to skip that. I think we talked about that enough. So, what is poverty? Quick, what words come to mind when we talk about poverty? What do you guys think of immediately? Lack of money. Lack of money. Homeless.
1: Homeless.
0: Good. Any other words? I
1: can think of the perpetuation of that trend off the
2: Like a cycle, like a vicious cycle, just not going away. and a mindset kind of a hopeless despairing mindset. That's good. I'll tell
1: you what our country defines as a lack of perceived perceived lack of. Perceived lack of options. Not Mm -hmm. the lack of options, but the perceived lack.
0: And the fact is that in some countries around the world, like, they might not have a perceived lack of options; they might just have a lack of options, True. right? There, there's some, you know, there's some, there, there's some very oppressive situations in which drive people to have more than just a perceived lack of options. Um, that's good. When I think the normal person, when you're asked, normal white middle-class person in America, when they're asked what is poverty, they focus on the lack of material possessions. But I want to read to you real quick some answers from people who are actually poor as to how they perceive their poverty <laughs> And this is from around the world. so Different countries are... are uh, some of these countries have never heard of it. Like the, the first one, Moldova. I, don't, I have no idea where that is. <laughs> this, and, th- and these are poor people talking. For a person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. Like We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. From Guinea. When I don't have any food to bring to my family, I borrow, mainly from neighbors and friends. I feel ashamed, standing before my children when I have nothing to help feed the family. I am not well when I am unemployed. It's terrible. From Latvia. No idea. Uh, During the past two years, we have not celebrated any holidays with others. We cannot afford to invite anyone to our house, and we feel uncomfortable visiting others without bringing a present. The lack of contact leaves one depressed, creates a constant feeling of unhappiness and a sense of low self-esteem. From Uganda. When one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food, so there is famine in her house, no clothing, and no progress in her family. From Cameroon. The poor have a feeling of powerlessness and an inability to make themselves heard. From Senegal. Your hunger is never satisfied, your thirst is never quenched. You can never leave, never sleep until you are no longer tired. From Vietnam. If you are hungry, you will always be hungry. If you are poor, you will always be poor. From Ecuador, what determines poverty or well-being? The indigenous people's destiny is to be poor. From China, this is the last one. What one shouldn't lack is the sheep. What one cannot live without is food. So, what do you? What's the common theme between the answers that you heard from people all around the world? say their answers as to how they define poverty. Did you hear the shame in their voice? See, poverty to, I think, people who are actually materially poor, it's not necessarily so much as not just, just having the lack of something. But it's a deep psychological um, intuition within them that says, I am not only and lack of material possessions. But I'm in utter despair because there's nothing I can do about it. There's a vicious mindset in that they can do nothing to better their situation. And they live this life of low self-esteem, of helplessness. And so, I think that's something important to remember when we're serving the poor. Just the shame that they live with every day, dealing with what they have to deal with, knowing that they have nothing to offer society. Or at least thinking that. Because obviously they're human beings, they have dignity, and they do have plenty to offer society. But they don't understand that. That's not a a cognizant reality to them. And they deal with the slope of self-esteem and poor. And I see this in my own ministry We're dealing with the wasn't I in the past. People often feel just ashamed when you give them something that they have no other way to get it other than through you. And I've seen people sometimes not ask me for things because they were so just bullshit. Have you seen that? Just like the despair? I wondered about Hugo yesterday
2: you go see the elderly gentleman, and he actually showed up, you were in the picture with him, and we went to help him in his house. And I... Am I not supposed to share?
1: No. Okay,
2: I wasn't sure if this was like You're threatening on Then I... Said, no.
1: Okay. Um, no, just, I just... I detect a certain kind
2: of... He seemed like he almost didn't care if he came again. He's great that the beginning and did all this stuff. But part of his problem is his whole family situation and everything. I think he's depressed. And so there's just a way in which, you know, I don't know if this reinforces the fact that he's... Sometimes I'm towards him. I, I just don't know if we're reinforcing to him the fact that he's poor and can't do it. Right.
0: Yeah, it's a horrible rut to be in. Right. Just
1: what's
0: You know, it's interesting. I read. I forget what city this took place in, but I read recently about a ministry of this like white evangelical church who was decided to reach out to this neighborhood, this ghetto, this uh, the public uh, housing project um, in their city. And I forget which city it is. But the people who were ministering to these people in the project were very frustrated because every year for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, they would come bring them food and presents and, and just shower these people with gifts. And they were very frustrated because they saw no improvement over the years that they were doing it. And one of their remarks was, you know, every time I show up, I'm really annoyed the way I see no men in these households. I'm really annoyed the way that I go and I see, the, I see the mothers and I see all these kids running around, but there's no men. And then they did some digging into that. And what they found was there actually was men. But the minute that they would ring the doorbell, the men would go hide in their bathrooms or, or lock themselves in their bedrooms because they were just so shamed that these people were coming to my house and giving something to my family that I cannot provide. And it's just, there, there's just that shame. Um, so what happens when we treat the symptoms without addressing the underlying problems? Obviously, we can do some harm. We can do some hurt. And uh, there's some, you know, symptoms and some solutions there. Uh, for, for some, if the if the, problem, if the underlying problem is that they're just not educated, well, well, the, then obviously the solution to that is to educate the poor. Oppression by a powerful people won't well, work for social justice. This is, I think, true of, in other countries, especially. Um, the personal sins of the poor, well, you evangelize them. And then, a lack of material resources, we'll give them material resources. And we've seen this to be true, I think, and especially, I think, the greatest case study of this has been with the World Bank after World War II. After World War II, you know, Europe was just in ruins. Europe was just devastated after that war. Well, the World Bank was organized. And the whole purpose of the World Bank was to alleviate poverty, was to alleviate um the misery that the World War Two had caused on Europe, especially Eastern Europe, or is that Eastern or Western Europe? Western. Western. Okay. And so the World Bank was was organized, and what they did was that they pumped just tons of money into these countries at very favorable terms, like very low interest rates, so that they were able to get their economies going again. It was a huge success. I mean, this was one of Europe's most times the fastest growth in their history and it was such a success that the World Bank decided well if this works so well in Europe let's try it in other countries that are poor and so they went and they did this the same thing to India they just pumped tons of money into India same terms that they gave the Europeans and what happened it was a disaster it was a complete failure why do you think it would happen it was it worked so well in one situation but not in the other. Because in the case of Europe, their underlying issue was the, was their lack of material possessions. Their underlying issue essentially was that they had a bunch and they got taken away from them because of the war. They knew how to take care of it. They, 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 they had it ripped away from them and then helping them meant restoring them to what they were. But in the case of India, they never had the underlying issue was not material. It was not give give them, restore their economies. Because they had no idea what to do with that. And so it was... And and, and I guess that's the point that... Um, that's what we need to look for when we help the poor without hurting them. We need to see the underlying issue. Because a lot of times... My personal experience with helping the poor in East Orlando has been... That the underlying issue... Most of the time, is not a lack of material possessions. I've seen a great amount, and I'm sure you guys can back me up on this, a great amount of substance abuse. Use. Underlying issue, substance abuse, is just giving them tons of money. The answer, no, because what it's going to be used for, obviously. And so the underlying, so the the solution to their symptom, get them into rehab, get them into a place where they can kick this abuse. And so, you know, that's just always something that we need to engage in how we approach the poor. And it's it's frustrating because that's hard. It's easy just to say we need to raise a certain amount of money to give everyone X amount of dollars, give them clothes. It's easy it's easy to, to, to do that. It's harder to deal with the underlying issues.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, what time is it? I'm not sure that we really have... You
2: know, just real yeah. quick, one of the things on the on the World Bank thing uh-huh. is uh, what has become successful is the micro loans. The micro loan? Uh, those little loans to the guy that all you have to do is give some guy ninety bucks so that he can just get the bicycle, mm-hmm. so that he he can he'll do all the rest. You just give him that one little thing, and and now suddenly he has, or the sewing machine, he now has the ability to create and market something. Mm-hmm that has proven more successful because it sort of just provides the person usually with the means to do something not right. just the something and then they go from there and that's been right. a better approach
0: isn't that the, the principle of like teaching someone to fish as opposed to just giving them a fish yeah. like if you give someone a sewing machine then you, you're essentially you're giving them the capability to sew and to make a living for themselves as opposed to just giving them you know,
1: the thing is it's really simple words. I mm-hmm. the other slot, or even to right here, mm-hmm. Those are simple words, but substance We've got several degrees and of the reactivity, but they come out with no failing stability. Yep. Part of the reason, a lot of the reason I think that there are substances is because they had no stable family in the first place. So that we're dealing with teenage minds anyway. So I felt this might be they don't want to be So, I mean, those are simple words. Let's just do this, let's just do this. But, you know, we've done something for four years now. And, yep. and some of them only focus here because they know about us, they know us what's happening. They don't mm-hmm. trust you. I mean, so it's just, you know, it's, it's so easy to say words and get into the situation and go, oh, man, how are now
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Because even if you I,
1: decide to do what's wrong, you mm-hmm. can to make sure they don't so. Right. Make sure they care to do it. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. one of the premise of what the authors is is, is is trying to help people understand when it comes to poverty is that poverty is a the, the cause of poverty stems from broken relationships. It stems from the four broken relationships that um we were given to when we were created obviously we have a relationship with God we have a relationship to self we have a relationship to others and then the rest of all creation and so poverty is is a result of broken relationships in, in some way and so the implication of understanding that that it's just broken relationship is that we're multifaceted as, as people. We're complex people, like you were just alluding to. The, the problem, the solution is never as easy as just the words that we say. It's not as easy as just getting them off their habit. Because, we we'll what got them in their habit in the first place? We're very complex people. And so we have to deal with the brokenness of all these relationships in their life. Their wrong ideas about God, the wrong ideas about themselves, the wrong ideas about others and, and the rest of creation. And we must engage them on that level that something needs to be fixed, that something is broken. And I think we also have to recognize that about ourselves because we are also broken in our relationships, with, in, those, in those four relationships, are we not? I mean, have we not all experienced the effects of the fall? Um, and so, just examples of, of how the, you know, the fall impacted our, the brokenness in those relationships with God don't we deny his exist- don't people deny his existence is not a sign of a broken relationship they deny his authority they deny his supremacy his sovereignty with self don't we see you know girls I've dealt with this when I was a youth pastor girls cutting themselves seeing themselves as you know ugly worthless pieces of trash having self identity problems um that's a broken relationship with self um they don't understand that they were created and in the image of God um broken relationship with others. Um, it's interesting when you... Uh, there have been case studies psychoanalyzing uh, gangsters, people who involve involved in gangs, um, how they view others not as people like them, but they view others as means to an end, that they have relationships with people based on what they can do for them, and when they are no longer able to do for them, then they are disposed. There was this story that I just read about recently that talked about these two kids. I believe it was in Chicago, I want to say. who they were, It was a 10 and 11-year-old kid. They asked this 5-year-old kid to go steal them candy. The 5-year-old kid refused to steal them candy. The 10 and 11-year-old kid took them to the, hot tip, to, um, the top of their 14-story uh, project building, threw them off, killed the kid because he wouldn't steal them candy. And that's kind of the mindset of a broken relationship of these people are just a means to an end. And we have to, and that's something to be fixed, that relationship with others. And then with creation, of course, the ground is cursed, everything is cursed. That's why we, we work so hard, that's why we labor so intensely. Um, We've lost our sense of purpose here in this life because our relationship with all creation has been broken. I'm going to share with you two definitions of poverty, real quick. This one comes from um, Ryan. They both come from the same guy, Ryan Myers. But he defines poverty in a large sense, saying poverty is the result of relationships that do not work. They are not just that. They are not just. They are not for life. That are not harmonious or enjoyable. Poverty is the absolute the absence of shalom in all its meaning. So if poverty is defined by broken relationships, then who is poor? And I think the answer is all of us. Because all of us have this broken relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the rest of creation. And when we fail to realize that we are all broken in some way, the gulf between us and the materially poor will grow deeper and filled with pride frustration and disdain. And I find that true to be and, and, and sin that I deal with in my heart I'm dealing with a couple right now who I'm sort of mentoring and I thought we were making progress and something happened two weeks ago that blew my mind I could not believe that it happened and the first thought that comes to my head is that's why they're in the situation that they're in it's just utter disdain that I have for them because they're wholly the other than me because it's their fault and when we really realize that we ourselves are broken and poor, we may not be materially poor, but we're poor in a different way. It, that When we remember that, it humbles us. So remember, it's not them, it's us that is broken. Well,
1: who was you know, who Jesus was more...
0: that we are all poor, I don't think that we can get into the mindset of thinking that if we help each other, that is the same thing as helping the poor. Because there is a unique factor to the materially poor that I think the Bible, um, the, 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 that the Bible proposes, that, that people who are materially poor, helping them is different than saying helping someone who has a broken relationship with themselves who may be a cutter we can't say by helping the cutter we're helping the poor because the Bible differentiates the different kinds of brokenness and it says a lot of a lot of scripture about helping the materially poor uh, here is one of them in Acts chapter 6 how it says that we have a responsibility we don't have time to read those whole things but it saying that we cannot be neglected materially poor that we have the responsibility the church has a task to help the materially poor and so there is a unique sense that we are called to help a unique poor, even if we are helping each other who are not materially poor. It's not the same thing. Something to think about. Um, what is poverty alleviation? I think we, we, we discussed that. Um, how you define success emissions from materially poor. And I think that we have to understand that success, when it comes to materially poor, is a very, very long process. It's something that will not be fully completed in this lifetime. Um, like you said, the poor will always be amongst us, Um, and you pointed that out in the the Old Testament too, both Deuteronomy and Jesus said that um, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Um, Once again, the gospel of the kingdom is here, not yet. God is in the process of reconciling all things to himself, fixing all things that are broken, as we learned in the service this morning, um, where Mike preached on redemption this morning and about the redemption of all things. Um, that's in the process, but it's not fully recognized yet. And uh, given the current state of the kingdom, how then should we alleviate poverty? Well, Second Corinthians 5.18 gives us some insight. And I hope that you can see that what I'm getting at here. Reconciliation to Christ is the answer. It's not simply giving some people, helping people with their addiction. It's not simply helping people uh, conquer their joblessness or something like that. Um, As Christians, what's the difference between us and, say, the Peace Corps or, 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 or the United Way or some organization that helps the poor? The difference is that we are holistic in our approach, that we're not just giving. Um, material possessions or helping in tangible ways but we're also reconciling them to Christ and I think that is the key and that's what makes Christians and our ministry different is that we have to remain holistic in our approach we can't just offer one thing or the other but we have to offer both and that is the gospel uh, poverty alleviation is the ministry of reconci- reconciliation Moving people closer to glorifying God by living in right relationship with God, with self, with others, and with the rest of creation. Our end task, the reason we help people who we consider, say, materially for is because we want to get them in right relationship with God, with themselves, with others, with, with the rest of creation, so that they can live for what they were created for, to glorify God, to enjoy it forever. That is the end goal. That is a very different end goal than what a secularist would have. A secularist would have to get, their end goal would be to help them be self-sustaining. But as Christians, we can't promote the idea of self-sustaining. We are utterly dependent upon Christ. We are utterly dependent on God for our everyday being. And therefore, the end goal for us is not to have, give some people a false perception of reality that they are self-sustaining but help them to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that is what it means to find success when it comes to ministering to the materially poor. Um, and this is the second definition I told you about. Um, this, the only difference between this definition and the first definition we read is the first definition dealt with the poor, which we all are. This deals with the materially poor. This defines the materially poor. Material, material poverty alleviation is working to reconcile the full foundational relationship so that people can fulfill their forms of glorifying by God by working and supporting themselves and their families with the fruit of that work what we created to work and isn't that an outwork and isn't our work the fruit of our labor isn't that a, a way of worship isn't that a sense of worship in God when we work and we're able to do what we were created for And that is what we're returning to people who are materially poor. We're not giving them jobs just to be self-sustaining, just to get out of their misery. But we're giving them jobs to create a sense of dignity that they can do what they were created to do. And that is to produce from their hands. To produce as a way of worshipping God and enjoying Him forever. Only God can provide reconciliation and thus we ought to pray. And I think sometimes we go into situations very boastful, very arrogant, think that we can go in and save people. We have to remember that only God can reconcile Jesus and people. And we are simply the tools that He uses. Poverty mediation cannot happen without the church. And that is why um, many, I think, people within the church sort of sometimes don't are, are I, I think pushed back a little bit toward in terms of having the government do create a lot of programs and social welfare things because a lot of that takes Christ out of the mix. It has nothing to do with reconciling God and, God and, and, and people who are lost and therefore we understand that that is incomplete help and that is why it's a task of the church to, to get involved with dealing with poverty Because only we have the answer. The answer of Christ. The answer is more holistic than just giving people stuff. Reconciliation is a process, usually a long process. I find that the most frustrating part of it. Because you say you've known people for 12 years. And some of the people that you know for 12 years, are they any better than they were 12 years ago? No. Some of them, no. Some of them, yes. Some of them, yes. Yes, definitely. But But some of them, no. It's a long process. Um, I think we'll, we'll cut this off. Um, and we'll just skip to the conclusion here. Alleviating materi- material poverty is not just about economic stabilization, but also about helping people glorify God and enjoying Him forever. And I think that's kind of the conclusion that we have to set to remember that the end goal is to help them do that. To help them to get back to the point of of what they were created for. Because isn't that the, de- the definition of redemption? To restore all that is broken. And that is what we do when we minister to the poor. So, like I said, more theological this week, more philosophical. Oh, good. Good. But we'll get more practical as the weeks go on. I don't think Chris is Yeah, you read the book? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so let me just I guess close this in a word of prayer. And I, I, re- I already told them this, but something for to pray about for me is that this last Thursday I lost my job. And so I, I saw it coming, I expected it. <laughs> something that was at the bank, yeah. And so um, it's something that I, I knew was in the works. In fact last Friday it's funny thing, not, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, I had everything packed ready to go. I was waiting for them just to come get me. And they didn't. And so I'm like, huh, that's weird. How come they didn't come and let me go today? Because I was fully expecting it. But then they came Thursday, the following Thursday. So I lasted five more days than I thought I did. But, uh, and so, but I.
1: you were a
0: year ago. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, uh that's just in your prayer time, something that you can, you know, look out for me. And that I appreciate. Yeah, yeah, she still works. And all of our health benefits and stuff are through percentage Job, and so really the loss of my job is just a loss of income. Oh, that's well, I'm, we still—I'm not. I guess I'm not. Yeah, that's how you know. Yeah. All right. Um, and so, and by the way, if you need me to help out at all during SRC, I'm available. <laughs> I just opened up availability, so i am to help with setting weeks oh, to buy it. You know. <laughs> You're very impressed on Mondays? Okay. I can buy what's up? 9-12. Nine 9-12? Nine twelve. Twelve? Okay. Nine okay. Twelve.
1: Yeah. You, you know
0: Spanish things? No,
1: you've not. me. Not enough. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: That's our
0: first Spanish dream. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not enough. You have to buy yes. Alright, very cool. Alright, well, let me pray. Lord, I pray that uh, as our class is now in the beginning parts of this lesson, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would solidify in our hearts, Lord, that you are king. And you are king over the poor and the rich, Father. And you have the power in your hands to take care and alleviate any situation that you want. But yet, Lord, you have chosen us to do your work. And I pray, Lord, that we would remain faithful to our calling. I pray, Lord, that we would take these principles and, um, and different things that we have learned here today and apply them to our ministries for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen
1: it's mm-hmm. so you know it was coming because
0: yeah well because there's a the branch the, each, each branch manager each branch manager has a certain goal in which we have to attain in terms of branch growth. Grow. you have to grow our branch to a certain level and you have a timeline to do that and if you make it you make it if you don't they try with someone else and so, you know, my branch didn't grow to um, the level that he wanted. And so, unfortunately, you know. Really lost stress. Yeah. It was a lot of stress when I first started working there. Um, yeah, I've been there, I, I was there for like three years. And, you know, what alleviated a lot of my stress was last year, when I really started to see that I can depend on God for things. And where I'm... Depend on God for things. Okay. And when I saw that last year, my dad got fired for the same exact reason for his job. And he was fired, like, I think in March, and by August, not even August, it was like just, so like maybe July, or June or July, he found a job that not only that he loved doing way better, but it compensated him better, and it was a door that God opened up for, for him they never would have had, never would have looked for, if it hadn't been from getting fired from the job. And like seeing what God, did, God is did my dad, gave me lots of confidence that God would do the same thing to me. Yeah. And so, like, it just, you know, I just, I was so. Was I see God
1: calling you for you've been wanting to get out
0: there. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I've been wanting to get out there. Yeah, and so you couldn't close the door,
1: so He did.
0: And, and and it's funny because a lot of people when they're you know. Get fired, there was like despair or, or whatnot. But when I saw them come in, <laughs>
1: it, it, it,
0: wouldn't, it wouldn't exactly be true to say I was like full of excitement, but I got this sense of relief. Mm-hmm. I just oh, it's over. Mm-hmm. You know, like no more do I have to live with this. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's over. And I was really excited about what the next opportunity is going to be. Because I do believe there's a next opportunity. I, I thought, I was—I was telling them I sort of was already offered a really cool opportunity. The going downside is there is no start date, (laughs) and so I don't know how long it would be till I got this opportunity. way. it's working for um, uh, a company here. It's a startup company. Their name is uh, Florida Oncology Research Association. It's sort of a job that I've been hoping for for a long, long time to come along. Florida
2: Oncology.
0: Yeah, Florida Oncology Research Association. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a position that, that opened up. Uh, they offered it to me like six months ago. Uh, but I couldn't leave Trusco because they, they, they couldn't guarantee when I would start. <laughs> so I was like, all right, just call me when it, when, it, when it happens. And then um, I swear God, it, had, it had been a while since I hadn't really heard from them much. So like I just kind of gave it up on them. Because it was a startup company and they said, well, we need to sign a bunch of contracts and get some funding before we can like, afford to bring you on board. And so I just was like, all right. And then, um, about four weeks ago, they called me. And they said, "Dang, good news! We're flush of cash. We got we got some big investors backing us. Cash is no longer an obstacle in the way of. It. Now it's just a matter of finalizing some contracts that we got going on, and just when it's more strategic to bring you on board." And so, just like that, guy is starting to open up that door for me. Um, at the same time, I'm still. I will be applying to ministry positions and other things because until they give me a start date, yeah. I don't think I can rely on them because what if it's another six months, you know? And so, like, I, I'm not going to, uh, you know, move forward with things. That's why uh, I appreciate the lead that you gave me, but a uh, conversation sort of abruptly ended abruptly when well, mm-hmm. we were on the phone with that guy because uh, when, when he told me a little bit more about what they were offering, I just, I, I thought that it wasn't worth taking a chance on, and so we just kind of... Did yeah, he offer
1: enough?
0: No, plus, when he started laying out what the job description was, it didn't sound like something that I was 100% enthusiastic about, and so I, you know, he, I mean, he didn't offer me an interview or like a second interview or anything like that, but you know, our conversation to kind to of a, appropriate when he said that. you
1: about What do you like?
0: The, 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 the oncology one? Um, I, I definitely have sort of an entrepreneurial spirit about me. Where I, I, I love being a part of things that are fresh, that are new, and I can really take ownership with. Um, and that's what this is. It's a company that has tons of fresh ideas, is very niche, and is something that I would be coming in on the ground for. And it's something that I would be a part of establishment. And I think that's very cool. Um, and and, and my, my role in it has nothing to do with research because I have no qualification to do any kind of yeah. research. Mine is more of a business relationship manager in which I would be fostering growth within the company to, to, amongst people who we, we would see as um, key relationships. Um, in terms of physicians, other practices that would need our services, things like that. Um, and so, it's, a lot of it's been explained to me, a lot of it's over my head because I don't have a, uh, an oncology research background, uh, but the stuff that I do grasp so far is very
1: exciting.
0: It's just like, I guess, so the it's just something new, something exciting, something that I can be a part of. Like with Trusco, I was already part of an organization that when they hired me that had been around for over 100 years already. I was not foundational for them at all. My, I, they didn't even want to hear my ideas that I had. Whereas it's totally different here. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe he doesn't, you know? Maybe uh, something else will come along. Yeah, I like, yeah. Right, a door, yeah.
2: Is, uh, it was put in our box along with that card. So it's probably because it's this Amish eater. Oh, thing. Well, I've so seen it's this. Jazz called me about
1: this. He's like, you guys have to own these. Like, you know. No, because it just costs you. So, okay, I wonder who put this in there. We are back.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Oh. We got to stop the recording.